0: Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So, decent amount of news and notes floating around these days. Um, As I mentioned yesterday, things are a little bit crazy out there. So, want to maybe very briefly touch on a couple things. And then I wanted to kind of look back at that uh, game that we played this past week against the Atlanta Falcons. Take a look at some of the stats and pro football focus a little bit more in depth to give an idea of who stepped up and who did what and what did who and uh, who's he what's it's and who knows what. But before we get there, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the podcast, it'd be greatly appreciated. Packernet.com for all your news, notes, and information about the Green Bay Packers. If you wouldn't mind, jump in the Facebook group. It's a good place to uh, just kind of hang out talk a little bit of Green Bay Packers. NFLbigboard.com um if you're looking to move over to the draft, did a really really big update yesterday, so uh there's a big reshuffling of all the uh the draft order, which is always very exciting even for myself because I I kind of just mindlessly input information, I don't really pay attention to Where guys are ranked, Um, for those that don't know, it's an aggregation, so I I go through all these different big boards. I've got a list of about 30, actually there's more than, there's probably close to 50, but some of them just haven't done their board yet this year, so there's going to be a lot more, but I go through my list of about 35-ish, I guess technically 25 now because some are not updating, and uh, see if they updated their boards, and if I did, I uh, pull that into my board and kind of see how things reshuffle. See how it averages out. So it's always kind of cool to just input the information, you know, hit sort and see what happens and uh, get to see which names are jumping, which names are falling. So be sure to check that out. Otherwise, I also got just about every single prospect. There's, what is there, 300 and 352 total prospects, Um, just about all of them. I've got uh, the work done as far as their scouting report, their news and their film and I also looked for highlight videos, if there's are, if there are any, then I put it in there. Also, um, if anybody's on here, I mean, this is a lot, a lot of work, and going back and double-checking my work is going to be a near impossibility. But if you're floating around and you're looking at stuff and anything's wrong, if you click on anything and it takes you to the wrong name, or if you see a highlight reel of a guy that doesn't have one yet, or if one of the highlight videos is complete garbage and you know of a better one, make sure it's, I mean, it's got to be real bad. I don't want just like... I prefer this I don't care, man. I I don't have time for that. But I don't sit and watch all the... I I just... there's no time. So anyways, if anybody wants to help edit, or if you see a name that's on here twice, sometimes that happens just by the way that I get things done. If there's a different spelling of a name, there might be two. I need to know that. Um, Otherwise, I would just encourage you to check it out. Um, If you're looking at the NFL draft, there really is not a better place to go. So... Finally, if you wouldn't mind uh, leaving a rating and review of this podcast, I don't really ask for that very often, but I need to start. Um, I'd really like to see the uh, Packernet podcast rise through the rankings a little bit. Um, given the following and the listenership, it should be a lot higher. And I, I've, I've kind of been okay with where we're at, but uh, now that we're stagnant and just kind of hanging out at that level, it's like, you know what? Let's see if we can bump this up a little bit. So, and once again, make sure when you do the review, Do not review the Packernet podcast with the green and yellow striped logo, if that's the one you're listening to. That's not really my podcast. That is is a podcast aggregation, and if you rate and review that one, that's fine. You can feel free to do that but review it as an aggregator and say something to the effect of, this is really cool, thanks for giving me all the Packers podcasts in one spot, and then go find the Packernet podcast and rate and review that. Packernet podcast has the dark Pack Daddy logo, not the green and gold logo. Two different things. There's my podcast, and then there's an aggregation of a lot of different Packers podcasts. I noticed I was asking for a while, and it's like, man, nobody's reviewing my podcast, and then I went and looked at the Packernet Uh, aggregation podcast thing, and there's just a ton of reviews, and it's like, no, man. (laughs) So anyways, that would be uh, greatly appreciated and uh, mucho, mucho helpful, which is Swahili for thank you for your time. Anyways, before we kind of jump into the the Packers grades and whatnot, I want to comment briefly on the Andrew Brandt article from MMQB. Uh, kind of, A lot of people were floating that around. I thought it was pretty interesting. It's always awesome to get insights from somebody who is in the organization, who understands the people and, and the way that they think. But we also have to remember at the end of the day, these are people with their own opinions. Um, I got especially familiar with that concept when I watched Winston Moss interview and realized he was there every single day at a very high level. I'm not sure if he understood what was going on. Right, They were asking him questions and he was answering them and it's like, I don't know. If he really knows. He didn't even know. He had to think about it for a while. So anyways, he's been out for a little while, but it's still good to hear and to see and get some of the background of at least how things worked when he was there. Um, I think the biggest nugget, and nobody's really brought it up, but the the biggest nugget, and it's not even so much a nugget, we all knew it, it just kind of something clicked in my brain, is that he pointed out how unusual it was that we fired Mike McCarthy midseason because the Packers don't change very much, anyways, and I think the reason I ignored that, for the most part, is because people say, "Well, the the Packers very rarely fire coaches midseason." This is so uncharacteristic. Like, dude, we barely, barely, rarely, very rarely fire coaches. When was the last time we fired a coach? It's not a big sample size. I mean, especially if we're talking about the current administration. So it just it was a weird thing to say. Like, yeah, I mean, when was the last time? We fired a coach midseason. It's like, who? Mark Murphy? I don't know. When was the last time Mark Murphy... How many coaches has Mark Murphy fired, ever? Just a weird comment to make. But the general concept that Green Bay has this... And it's true, at least, I mean, you know, small sample size even as far as my life goes... But it's true, and he, he gave even a bigger background about the 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 feel of of Green bay and even the the technology their late ticket technology when he started there they didn't have voicemail or something you know it's it's an old town, it's a small town it's old school it's old everything it's just it's different you don't do things the same way, and everything moves slowly and in one of the thing you know it's and it it's kind of true, even as a Packer fan myself, I remember thinking. It feels like the right thing to do, but it doesn't feel like the Packer thing to do. The reason that I liked it or, or liked that he kind of pointed out how ingrained that is and the fact that it's kind of crazy that we did it is because it highlights to me a change in philosophy in Green Bay. And I know this was technically a Mark Murphy thing, um, but I think between Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst, there is a change. And I mentioned, whether it was yesterday or two days ago, my frustration with the way Mark, uh, Mike McCarthy and Ted Thompson and some of the guys went about things, which was a very sort of hands-off, you know, winning isn't everything, you know, as much as that might be a little bit ridiculous. You know, it, he even mentioned Andrew Brandt in the article, the importance of family and how family's more important than this, that, or the other. Um, talked about how he, you know, he gives jobs to his friends. He pushes his his uh, his people to get promotions out of Green Bay. Um, he very very rarely, if ever, fires any coaches, even if they're underperforming. And I get the feeling that that's over with. And you look at Brian Gutekunst and what he's done and how he shipped off players just at the at the at the first brush. You have, uh, you know, Whitehead who got kicked off the team after slapping somebody in the head. And I think it was, you know, Pettin and McCarthy both made comments to the effect of like it wasn't that big, de- big of a deal. You know, Mike Pettin was talking about how this was a few weeks prior, but how he's he's picked up the defense maybe better than just about anybody. He really liked Whitehead. Mike McCarthy, I think his comment was something to the effect of this is a classic case of the second guy getting caught. Gutikuns came along and said, "Nah, he's gone." And I was I was thinking about this yesterday as well. I think Mark Murphy is a big part of this because. I was having a hard time understanding exactly the power structure and why he decided to put himself at the top and to make sure that he was in control directly of the head coach, directly of the GM. Why are things being set up that way? But if you think about what I had said, and if I'm correct, that Ted Thompson was just kind of a, eh, whatever, you know, I'm going to do my thing, but we'll see. And then the head coach was a little bit too hands-off at times. You have this sort of insulating place where it's sort of a safe place to kind of just coast, and Mark Murphy tore the top off of that and exposed everything and shone a bunch of light on it and said, I'm going to be in charge of everything. I'm going to be much more hands-on. I'm going to be much more involved in this process, and I'm going to make sure that people are getting up and doing their job every day, and beyond that, you guys are going to report directly to me in person on a weekly basis. We're going to have meetings. I want to know what's going on. I want to know why it's going on. This reminds me of uh, when I was in in school, very, very bad student. Hated school, hate school to this day. Every once in a while, I think I should go back to school and get a better job, even though at this point, I'm very comfortable. But uh, there was a time when I was constantly looking at that, and then I would remember how much I absolutely hate school with a passion. Well, middle school comes, you know, I'm kind of getting a little older, making my own decisions, One of the decisions I made is I don't have to do homework. I'm relatively smart enough that if I'm, you know, and and, listen, I believe I'm relatively smart enough, but I also understand that public school is kind of a joke. No offense to the teachers out there, but I'm one of about a billion people who have made the comment, I never did homework, I took the tests, and I got by with B's and C's. That should never happen, but allow uh, (laughs) allow me to digress. That's so pathetic. But anyways, in my middle school, if you didn't turn in three homework assignments on time, you got marked down, um, and eventually you would get a detention for three missed assignments. Well, I got one or two or three of those, and Dad got mad, and what did he do? He gave me an assignment notebook. He said, you write down all your assignments, you hand it to the teacher, teacher signs it in pen, and then you bring it home, and I see it, and then you go do your homework, and you show me your homework. Now, I... Of course, found ways around that. I wrote things in pencil and just erased it, and then the teacher signed it in pen, and what did they sign? They signed that I don't have homework today, right? You know. Yeah, I went, to, I went to some extremes to get out of working, ever. I had video games to play, man. Those games aren't going to play themselves. You think I'm not going to play GoldenEye all day? Give me a break. Donkey Kong? Come on. Twisted Metal 2, dude? Anyone? Come on. They said John gets to come over when homework's done, so guess what? homework's done. But this, this is kind of what it's like. You're going to do your assignment notebook. You're going to sign it. You're going to bring it home. You're going to show me. Mark Murphy ripped everything apart and said, you're not hiding behind the GM. You're not hiding behind anything. And I'm not going to go over and sit in my office and do my own stuff as far as, you know, planning title town and doing my own stuff, because it turns out behind my back, you guys have been messing around. So it, it kind of and again, maybe this isn't true, it kind of gets into conspiratorial kind of territory, but not really, because everything seems to be falling in place. Again, what I like to do is put theories out there and see how it, how it goes. And it turns out, some of the things that are happening kind of make sense if what I had theorized was true, and this is one of those examples. Why would Mark Murphy do something like this? Because he realized that while he's off doing his job, other people behind him are not doing their job, and it's incumbent on him now to take on more responsibility, because when he's not paying attention, things start falling apart. Now, he could have easily just fired them and hired new people, but that's not really even so much the point. It's not even so much that the people aren't doing their, or the people aren't good enough, it's that the people aren't doing their job. We don't need necessarily better people, although we apparently did. We need more oversight. So I found that interesting. So you have Mark Murphy and Brian Gudekunst who are taking a much more hands-on approach and saying we're going to be much more aggressive. We're going to be much more in your face. We're going to take this thing head-on. We're not just going to kind of, you know, go through the motions here. We're, we're, we're going to be serious. We're going to find we're going to set a tone. And I think that did start with Mark Murphy because again he was i think he was upset i mean i was surprised when they offered uh, mike mccarthy a one year extension like what are you talking about why don't you want him back i don't understand he's a good coach maybe it's because they kind of turned he kind of turned around and looked and realized he wasn't doing what he needed to be doing and he wasn't happy about it and he said you know what i'll give you a one year extension we'll see how it goes but i'm not happy with what I'm seeing here. I'm not happy with the production. I'm not happy with uh, the amount of work that's getting put in. And I, listen, I, sh- I shouldn't even phrase it that way. I know he's putting in massive hours. It's not even so much the hours. Again, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just the, the priorities, maybe. But again, other things in the article, eh. For example, everyone's really, really latched on to the one part of the article. If you haven't read it, it, it is a very good read. Um, it, it's, it's a peek behind the curtain which is always nice as a Packer fan to get the insights again as somebody who's been there. But his hot take is the reason that we fired McCarthy is because they wanted to reach out to a college head coach because there's like a a one-week break between their last game and their upcoming bowl games, you know, for those of them that are going to them, which I would assume most coaches who would be in consideration are going to one. There's also some other people who maybe are different teams, I I don't know, that aren't going to bowl games. Either way, that was his big thing. I don't really buy it for a couple reasons. One reason would be, um, I can't imagine head coaches for college teams are really kicking their feet up any more than um, NFL head coaches are kicking their feet in, in fact, if I'm a college coach about to head into a bowl game, I'm probably a little bit more intent on my preparation than, you know, if I wanted to reach out to, I don't know, an NFL offensive coordinator who's preparing to play the uh, the Jaguars. I don't know. I mean, you, you can start putting out feeler. I, I don't know. I, I felt like that was kind of a weird statement. But beyond that, I don't feel the need. See, he felt the need to say that because he felt it didn't make sense. I don't need that explanation because I felt it did make sense. If I put out a theory, as I've said, and it comes true... Then it just makes sense. I said Mike McCarthy will probably be fired. And I you know, I I I don't remember exactly what my phraseology was, and I did realize it was kind of un un unpacker like or didn't feel like the what's up what they would do. But I said after we lost to the Vikings, there's a chance Mike McCarthy could be fired. But I said probably not as long as they're in playoff contention. But it could happen. And then I went on to say if we lose to the Cardinals, however, good chance he's gone. Again, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I did say that. He got fired after we lost to the Cardinals. So I don't need an explanation for why they did it. Because they did it because it made sense. Maybe they were just thinking the same way I was thinking. Maybe they said, hey, they they wanted to move on to the Vikings game, but we're still in playoff contention, let's wait it out. And then after we lost to the Cardinals, it's like enough is enough. Even though mathematically we're not eliminated, we lost to the Cardinals. We're not going anywhere. Enough is enough. There's nothing more to be said. We know it's time to move on from Mike McCarthy. It's time to move on from Mike McCarthy. And I don't think for Gutekunst or Mark Murphy, it's about respect anymore. I think it's about do your job or you're out. And it's it's not about disrespect either. Everything is true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's disrespectful. I don't care. About but listen. He does. He is currently spending time in December with his family. If you want to say that he would rather be coaching, fine, say that. If you want to call it disrespectful, say that. But they did him a favor whether he believes it or you believe it or not. If he wants to be an NFL head coach, he can start that process today because he does not have a team to coach that is not going to honor his contract through the end of the year or beyond this year or extend his contract or whatever. It also makes sense for the Green Bay Packers to start the process. What did they say as soon as he got fired? Mark Murphy said, we will begin the process of finding the next head coach immediately. Why is that not a benefit? Of course it is. So why wouldn't you move on from Mike McCarthy? If you're waiting for him to be gone, which you will be, because you're not going to start making calls to 24 other teams, to their head coaches and offensive coordinators and all this stuff, and start putting out feelers about getting a new head coach And then not expect Mike McCarthy to find out about it. You have to be hush-hush. You can't start the process. Everybody knows everything in there. you got people who've been out of the league that start hearing things. Ian Rappaport. How does he know all this stuff? Because he's an insider. The guy lives in New York. He's just sitting out there. He knows everything that's going on in California, Florida, Wisconsin, Detroit. He knows. Because word travels. You want to get a jump start on finding the coach of the future, got to move on from Mike McCarthy. But just in, in, in general, that's kind of how I feel about stuff. I put out a, a theory, I think this is going to happen, and then when it happens, I don't really need an excuse for why it happened. Another example: John Di Filippo. What did I say? Yesterday. Yesterday I said, De Filippo's about to get himself fired. About four hours after I said it, D. Filippo got himself fired. Everybody on Twitter is tripping over themselves, especially people who have been banging the drum for him to be our next head coach, are now trying to save face by blaming the head coach, blaming the quarterback, saying, I don't know why they would do this, this doesn't make sense, there must be some crazy reason why it happened. There's not a crazy reason. It was the right decision to make. That's why he got fired. He's been garbage. The offense went straight backwards after improving their roster. The offensive coordinator is going to get fired. And again, when you have a defensive coordinator as a head coach and then they hire an offensive coordinator, that puts a lot more strain on a guy like De Filippo than it does on a guy like Joe Philbin. De Filippo is the guy in charge of the offense now. Zimmer isn't going to be calling plays. De Filippo's calling plays. That offense looked like garbage with the exact same talent except a couple upgrades. And that's what happens. So allow me to assure you, you don't need conspiracy theories for some of this stuff. It just was the right decision to make. And as much as people on Twitter who are all upset because their favorite person just got fired and they're trying to, to prove to you that it's not Filippo's fault, it's everybody else... No, it was Filippo's fault. They're outraged that Filippo got fired because it makes them look dumb. But we don't need conspiracy theories. He got fired because it made sense. How do I know it made sense? Because I said yesterday before he got fired he was about to get fired. Starting to think I should start setting the betting lines for uh, coaches getting fired. I'm, I'm batting a 1,000 here. <laughs> I'm not right about everything, but I'm not wrong when it comes to firing head coaches, apparently. That's my one gift in life. We'll see what happens with Lafleur because I, I just, it, it blew my mind yesterday on Twitter. I saw people who were excited that DeFilippo can now head, head, interview to be our head coach, which just absolutely blew my mind. The guy went from being a quarterback's coach to an offensive coordinator. He did a terrible job, and we want to give him a promotion. <laughs> okay. The other thing now is uh, Lafleur. I, I saw his name pop up again. Now, I'll, I'll leave it open a little bit, and I did this once before. I'll leave the door open just a crack, but it's, it's a real big jump in my mind because... If you look at, for example, Andy Herman, I saw, I don't know when he did it, but I woke up this morning and saw his tweet. He listed sort of his credentials, and it looks kind of good. Granted, he was a quarterback coach, and the quarterbacks that he listed were guys like Kirk Cousins and RG3, and it's like, eh, okay, <laughs> yeah, cool. And then he also listed guys that have he's worked under, and that's cool, but it doesn't really tell me anything about Lafleur other than, you know, he's he's worked under some really good guys. McVeigh and Shanahan and whatnot so he's worked for some pretty good guys he's been a quarterback coach of some bigger name quarterbacks although I can't really point to development in fact RG3 his best year was his rookie year and then he just fell apart injuries and whatnot fine but I mean who, who's the guy that he coached up who's the guy that came into the league and was a laughingstock and then all of a sudden really took off because of their guru quarterback coach And then, of course, you have him um, with the whole offensive coordinator situation where he seemed to be a good offensive coordinator, but it turns out that was more so the head coach, and we know that because he left that place, and they're still pretty good. And now he went somewhere else, and the team has regressed horribly. So, again, I'm I'm looking for something that tells me that when he goes somewhere, things get better. I don't see that. I don't see the quarterbacks getting better. I don't see teams getting better. I see good quarterbacks, bad quarterbacks, good teams, bad teams – and I see Lafleur just kind of in there. He's just kind of there. Now, the, the, the other question to be had here is, is, could he be a good head coach? And I'm very skeptical of bad offensive coordinators getting promoted to head coach. However, as I said, it's a different job. Meaning, if we hired this quote-unquote offensive guru to be our head coach, I would kind of insist that he brings along an offensive coordinator that's actually good at being an offensive coordinator. And then essentially his job is to not really be an offensive or defensive coordinator, to let that be Pettin and somebody who actually knows how to run an offense. And we're leaning on Lafleur to reflect on his tutelage under guys like Shanahan and whatnot for his leadership abilities. And that's just kind of lame because we can probably find a lot of guys that know how to run a team because they've worked for some pretty... I mean, if that's the case, we should probably hire um, Josh McDaniels. Right, if we're if we're not really worried about his ability to run offenses, we're really just looking for a guy that knows how a good football team should operate. Josh McDaniels makes the absolute most sense because, and it doesn't matter if it was Bill Belichick that did all the work. We just need a guy that knows how to structure a team and and structure a locker room and and and, and you know bring discipline and whatnot. And then, cool, yeah, Josh McDaniels, that's the guy. So, anyways, it's a good article. Um, I don't necessarily buy the whole. Um, college thing although I'm, I'm sure they're putting out feelers for everything I'm sure they're they're picking up the phone and talking to people in college talking to people in the pros they're doing all that but to say he was fired so that they can call one guy that they had in mind who's currently preparing for a bowl game is a, a little bit more of a reach than I'm willing to make they fired McCarthy because we lost to the Arizona Cardinals why we need a deeper explanation than that I don't know but, anyways, let us dive into the uh, PFF numbers from last week and see what we can uh, figure out. First of all, looking at the offense, um, Pro Football Focus was far from impressed by the offensive performance. Uh, despite the um, high number of points, it's pretty clear that they just saw a Falcons defense that was pretty pathetic because I don't really remember seeing this bad of an offense ever. <laughs> Basically, you had one player graded as very good, one player graded as good, and then the entire rest of the team is either average or bad or horrible. So, Devontae Adams, not surprisingly, was graded out as very good. He's been very good all year. The guy, as far as his pro football focus grade, his only below-average grade was Week 3 against the Washington Redskins, and it was barely below average. He's only had two games graded as average, He's had four games where he graded out as good, four games where he graded out as very good, excuse me, five, including this past week, where he graded out as very good, and one game, his game against the Rams, where he graded out as elite. Um, it's, it's real good to see, and it, he's, he's taken another step. If, if you look at him, um, he actually seemingly regressed from 2014 to 2015, but he took a step in 2016, um, graded out as quote-unquote good. 2017, he barely broke into the very good category. 2018, he's he's high, very good. We're talk- Very good just means 80s. High 80s, pushing into the 90s, which is where you start talking about elite territory. If he can string together a couple more of these very good games, he will be elite by the end of the year, and we're talking top five-ish. Um, I should check where he is right now, actually. He might already be graded as top five. I don't think so, though. No, he's currently graded as uh, ninth. Robert Woods, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, Adam Thielen, Keenan Allen, Tariq Hill, DeAndre Hopkins, and Michael Thomas are graded higher. And again, I see on Twitter all the time, like, if you don't think Devontae's a top five wide receiver, you're so dumb. You must be the dumbest person on planet Earth. It's like, do you know who these people are? And if it's not, even if you want to take a few of these people out, like, okay, you know. Adam Thielen hasn't been as good the last couple weeks. And, you know, Robert Woods shouldn't be that high. And by the way, Robert Woods and Devontae Adams are basically tied. Fine, but you also got guys behind him that could really step up. T.Y. Hilton, A.J. Green, uh, Juju Smith Schuster, Mike Evans, Brandon Cook, Stephon Diggs, uh, Amari Cooper. Right? There's a lot of other guys that can have up years and can be up into this top 10 territory there's a lot of really good wide receivers so it's not disrespectful to call him a top 10 wide receiver it's about as, as respectful as you can get because of the massive amount of talent that there are michael thomas deandre hopkins come on man these guys are crazy and it's it's not even that much higher the The highest grade is michael thomas at 91.3 Devonte adams is 87.4 it's not that big of a gap people just need to relax either call him top five or you're evil you're just the worst person ever it's like dude slow down anyways number two on this list mr aaron jones having a real good year not the greatest grade in the history of the world his run grade was good his pass uh receiving grade i guess was good his pass blocking grade though very good so that kind of helped propel him otherwise unfortunately just not good anywhere um you know Above average, David Bakhtiari, Jason Spriggs, which is good to see. Is his uh, pass-blocking grade was pretty solid. There's another guy I've been saying. He seems to be turning a corner. He needs more stability as far as his production, not not this kind of good game, bad game nonsense. And really, the, the, the repercussions of... I, I would like him to play out the rest of the year, to be completely honest. And no, not because I want us to lose out. I, I would like to see how important it is that we replace belaga i mean do we need to go first round or second round for an offensive tackle i mean if jonah williams is available should we take him because if something happens to belaga and jason spriggs is no good we're in trouble however if jason spriggs can keep this up i'm talking about just being an above average tackle it's suddenly not an urgent thing and we can start looking fourth fifth round at, at some depth Because our tackles will be David Bakhtiari and Jason Spriggs. David Bakhtiari, we got locked up for a while. Jason Spriggs is still very, very young. I mean, he could still develop into a pretty good tackle. I'm pretty excited. Now, again, I'm not seeing anything elite out of Jason Spriggs. He'd still like better from a second-round guy, but he's taken some steps. He's also fighting through some injuries. So it's one of those things where he wasn't good, and then he was getting injured, and then it becomes kind of like, a, you know, is he going to regress even worse? I mean, this is getting terrible. But he's he's finding his way, so I would love it for him to be able to play out the rest of the season and see if if not only can he prove that he can be a solid tackle consistently, but also some time to develop and to learn and to to be the focus of the coaching, right? For the coaches to focus on Spriggs and help develop him. Other guys above average: uh, Aaron Rodgers, Jamal Williams, and um, that's pretty much it. I'm not going to list off everybody here. We'll get into more specifics later but uh, some of the really really bad um, guys worst on the team Mercedes Lewis, um, 16 total snaps almost all of them were in run blocking and he had a below average run blocking grade. His pass blocking grade was solid, but he only had one rep doing it. so I mean it, it, it was a failed experiment. He was another guy that I that when he came on I said we need to temper our expectations, you know you hear. Other podcast hosts and other people on Twitter, Packers experts and football experts, talking about Mercedes Lewis is the best blocking tight end in the NFL. And I said, not really. That would probably be Rob Gronkowski. Mercedes Lewis has, you know, some years, I think it was because 2017 he was the best pass blocking tight end. or One of the two. But if you just go back in time, you'll see... Some years he's a terrible blocker in both categories. Sometimes he's a good run blocker, terrible pass blocker. Sometimes he's a good pass blocker, terrible run blocker. The question is, what would he be this year? Well, couple a bad year with hardly ever being utilized and then being improperly utilized all the time, and he's been horrible, really think it's time to just forget this whole failed experiment. Which, again, I don't think Mike McCarthy, as much as he loved tight ends, has any idea how to use a tight end. Moving along. Second worst on this list, Mr. Lucas Patrick. Props to that man for trying to step up, but uh, no thank you. Pass blocking grade was about as bad as it can possibly be. Our our guards are so bad. I, I don't think we can go through this draft without drafting two. We have to have at least two. We don't have any good starting guards, and that includes Lane Taylor, which, again, this is a very braggy podcast today, but I've been right about a lot of stuff lately, and you know full well that I tell you when I'm wrong about stuff. Everything I've said today just reminds me of how I was correct about things. One of the things I said, first of all, and I got a lot of pushback on, McCray is not good, which is shocking because he's just terrible. I've also been saying Lane Taylor isn't that great. I prefer Lane Taylor as a backup, a versatile backup. He shouldn't be a starter. Oh, no, no, no. Lane, he's got that left side locked out. No, he does not. We need two. And, again, I'll live with Lane Taylor on the left side. I can tolerate it we got to at least fix the right side, and if nothing else, fix the right side and get some depth. And no, I'm not, I understand we drafted Cole Madison, I have zero expectations from Cole Madison. I don't know what happened, but it was very bad. I'm guessing whatever's been going on means he hasn't been training all that much, and even so, when I talked with uh, Chris Landry about how, oh yeah, Washington State or wherever he came from, they throw the ball a lot, so he's probably pretty good, right? He said, No. Nothing about Washington State translates to the NFL. He's going to have to learn how to block as an NFL football player. He has to start from scratch. So we've got a guy that was a project. Not to say he couldn't step in and be good, but he needed to learn. It would probably not be year one, maybe year two, but then you got him not playing and you have him taking a year off and now he has to get trained again and he has to come back and... Zero expectation that he's going to come back and play for the Packers. Zero. Even if he st- comes back and puts on a uniform, I have, z- I have very, very low expectations that he's ever going to be a solid starter for this team. We need two, at least two. If nothing else, I want a new right guard who's very good, Lane Taylor at left guard, and decent quality depth that we can train up and hopefully can replace Lane Taylor. And if he doesn't, then we need to do guard again next year. But it's a disaster. I've been saying this for a while, and I've been watching it deteriorate over time, and I'm getting tired of it. And I understand. The draft is tough because you only have so many picks. right? I, I, I put up yesterday, I, I went ahead and I did my own seven-round mock draft. I didn't publish it because it, it wasn't even official. I did like several of them. Go to Tankathon, click on Packers, and it'll give you all their picks. As of right now, if, they, if the, the season ended today, where all their picks would be? Then go to NFLBigBoard.com. Look around that number and find players and just, just do a mock draft. It's going to be terrible. I, I promise you it's going to be terrible. I know because I've done them, and every time I post them, somebody gets mad at me. What about this? What about this? What about this? And especially if you understand that basically from the fourth round on, you're kind of just rolling the dice because there's not a ton of talent. So really, if you want to fix something, you've got to do it first round, second round, third round. You know, If we're talking edge rushers and tackles, you're, you're pretty much done quarterbacks obviously are another one you're not going to find a starter very very difficult i get that but man oh man this is this has been going on too long and it's getting real bad and i you know not to get too off topic but this offense has been deteriorating for a while while we've been drafting defense and we've been doing a terrible job drafting defense so the defense has not really been built up the offense has been deteriorating because we don't even start drafting offense until the fourth round Typically, yes, I understand. Oh, Ty he was a third round. Yeah, yeah, dude, I get it. I'm talking in a general sense. Typically, that's what we do at the end of the draft. But now we've got an offensive line that's starting to deteriorate. We we don't have very good weapons. We don't have tight ends. We don't have wide receivers. We we don't have depth at running back. We need a lot of help. Moving on. Third worst player, Justin McCray. What? That's crazy. Oh, I thought we had good guards. I thought McCray was pretty good. Blah, 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 blah. Two other guys that stood out as being not good, Jimmy Graham, Lance Kendricks. So, our guards and our tight ends made uh, the, the, and actually, the next worst player, who has a slightly higher grade, but because it's funny, was Robert Tanyan. So, our worst six players were all four of our tight ends and two of our guards. This is problematic. But overall, pretty surprising. This is just the overall offensive grade, but... um, I don't know, I, I felt better about this game than apparently Pro Football Focus did. Everybody understands it wasn't anything all that spectacular. I'm a little surprised by Aaron Rodgers' grade. However, there were two passes in particular that should have been intercepted, really ill-advised, um, and I'm, I'm probably remembering a little more uh, rosily than I probably should because some of these passes looked really crisp and pinpoint, and uh, he was hitting the checkdowns, which is what we've been wanting. But um, I'm not exactly sure how that impacts your grade all that much. In fact, I remember Pro Football Focus in particular once knocked Aaron Rodgers real bad uh, when he had a relatively good game and everybody was upset and said Pro Football Focus is garbage and their rationale was essentially, yeah, but his passes were all basically checkdowns. In other words, they didn't see that as anything all that special. So it's what we've been waiting for, but it's, it's not, uh, not going to help as far as PFF grades. Uh, Looking at the uh, pass-blocking, run-blocking stuff, as usual, nobody on this team can run-block. A couple good pass-blockers here. Uh, Aaron Jones stood out as number one, Jamal Williams number two, so we've got that locked down. If we need depth, that running back, and this is why (sighs) one of the things that bothers me that I, I hope would be different with Brian Gutekunst, but I don't necessarily think it will be, when we look, for example, at running back, I would like to kind of round this out. I like the idea of having a bit of a committee um, that has different skill sets, similar to what we had. Aaron Jones is your slasher, Jamal Williams is your, your pounder, and, and uh, you know Ty Montgomery is your receiving back. Now, I, I don't know, you know. Jamal isn't all that good of a, a, a short yardage back. He's got some thump to him, but more of an open field, I'm going to destroy the cornerback Guy than a I'm gonna push a defensive tackle guy, but whatever. Ty Montgomery not very good as a receiving back, but y- you get what I'm saying. That's kind of my thing. So we've we've got the pass blocking, we've got our every down back in Aaron Jones. I would like, as I've said several times, more of a kind of receiving back, a smaller guy, smaller, speedier. You know, just just go get me Darren Sproles or something, or Amir Abdullah, like I've said several times. All right, Duke Johnson. Okay, Duke Johnson. However. The Packers seem to have a prototype that they like, and they go get that guy. If we just look at the running backs that Gutekunst has picked up, every single one of them, What are they? 5'11", 222, right? They're all 5'11", and 220-some pounds. It just seems like there's a prototype that they like. So, anyways, we we need some depth at running back behind Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. It would be really cool if later in the draft we get somebody who's not very well-rounded but does one or two things very, very well. Again, you get a real small guy that you don't want getting 20 carries a game, or even 10 for that matter, because he's way too small. But you get him in space, and he can do carry. I'd like that guy. We'll see what happens, though. I I, I don't have a lot of faith that we're going to go that route. Um, the best pass-blocking offensive lineman, Jason Spriggs. Um, and and he's, he's really the first one that would be um, definitively impressive, because Aaron Jones, three pass-blocking reps, Jamal Williams, two. Mercedes Lewis was four, but he only had one pass-blocking rep. Alex Light, one pass-blocking rep. So if we're looking at offensive linemen that actually started, Jason Spriggs and then David Bakhtiari, who had one of his worst games of the year, which wasn't bad, but to be graded out as average against a team that's just kind of meh, not super great. Otherwise, Corey Lindsley, um, pass-blocking grade was average, so not a very good game for him. And then Justin McCray and Lucas Patrick uh, below average, and then Patrick was just abysmal. Looking at run blocking, not surprisingly, Equinemius St Brown is, is top of the list, like he always is. It's a very weird thing. Uh, he actually tied with David Bakhtiari, but again, we're we're talking about not good, average. 62.2 is what David Bakhtiari and Equinemius St Brown got. 60.0 is perfectly average. It's 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 a uh, it's a nothing play. If you, if you are a wide receiver. And you run a route and they don't throw it your way, that's like a 60. right? If you're staying into pass block and nobody gets comes through the line for you to block, then you get a 60 because you just basically did nothing on the play. Corey Lindsley, 60. Jason Spriggs, 60. Jimmy Graham, 60. Marquez Valdez Scantling, 60. Tanyan, 60. Adams, 60. Light, 60. Panky, 60. 60, 60, 60, 60. 60, 60. Guys that did terrible Randall Cobb, Justin McCray, Lucas Patrick, Mercedes Lewis, Lance Kendricks. So nobody did any good. Nobody was even above average. But we got at least four guys that don't know how to do it and are terrible at it. And we're talking about a relatively big sample size. 13 reps, 14 reps, 22 reps, 20 reps. And as much as everybody wants to say who cares about run blocking, I care about run blocking. That's who cares about run blocking. I do. We have Aaron Jones on our team. I understand pass blocking is more important But I wouldn't mind so much, especially if we're talking right guard, to get a mauler that can actually destroy people in front of them, that can actually, like, you know, handle a block and knows how to get up to the second level and block people appropriately so that we can spring Aaron Jones. I would like teams to actually respect our run a little bit. I wouldn't mind that. I know some people are like, oh, nobody cares about running. Running doesn't matter in the NFL. It does because everybody does it. Why don't you just throw? Well, it's not so much about how well you do on the ground. It's the fact that you run. Baloney. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. If you run and can't go anywhere, the team doesn't care. They're just going to play in their nickel package and dime package and play pass every single down, and they don't care if you're running the ball because their front four will just stop the running back. It's not just if you run, it's how well you run. It's about getting them out of what they're doing, and if they're playing dime, you should be able to gash them. And if you're if they're in their dime package and you gash them for 10 yards every time you run it and you keep running it and running it and running it, they're going to go from dime to nickel. If they can't stop it, they're going to go from nickel to base. Once they go in base, you throw, 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 and you get them into a situation where there's nothing they can do. Saying that all that matters is running and it doesn't matter if you get 1 yard or 10 yards is a little silly. I mean, just, just from a, a standpoint of wanting to get yards, and that being kind of the whole point of playing football on offense, wanting to progress toward the end zone, saying one yards and 10 yards doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. And I'm sure you saw a chart somewhere from somebody, but the chart was wrong. Charts are based on numbers. Numbers are nonsense. It, it, they just, it just is. You have to know exactly what to do with them. And if there's one thing we know about the NFL, it's that numbers are just wrong about everything. There, there are no analytics for football. There are no good ones. It's it's part of the reason I like pro football focus because what really matters is actually watching them play and watching them perform. Baseball's different. Baseball numbers kind of matter. Basketball numbers kind of matter. Football, it just doesn't matter. There's too much going on. There's too many. One play is contingent on 11 people, or at least I don't know six or seven of them. A, a positive passing play depends on a lot of things, and not just the offense, but the defense's ability to let you do it. Did you succeed, or did the other team fail? There's just too much for numbers to kind of figure things out. And even if you look at success rates over the course of, you know, 10,000 sample sizes, when you do this, this happens. Yeah, but why? You don't know why. You just know that. I don't know why it happens. I just know that it happens. And then to draw the conclusion that all that matters is that we do this, because when you do this, you succeed. Not really, because you don't know why that's the case. You don't know what set that up or how that happened or any of that stuff. So I I just, I don't care. Anyways, yes, we should be a better run-blocking team. We're a terrible run-blocking team. I don't mind that our left tackle is the best pass blocker in the NFL and isn't that great of a run-blocker. That doesn't bother me all that much. The fact that our right guard is a pathetic run-blocker, that bothers me a little bit. Right tackle probably should be a little bit better of a run-blocker. Center should be a very good run-blocker. You're not going to replace him because he's a good football player. But we're going to need a new right tackle, right guard, and left guard. Let's find people that can run block a little bit better. Please, thank you very much. Because this is every week. Every week. Oh, look, we got four really good pass blockers. Zero run blockers. Zero. Always zero. Nobody ever can run block. Ever. On this team. Ever. Our tight ends can't do it. Our offensive line can't do it. Our tackles, guards, and center, they can't do it. Nobody can do it. And yes, it matters. And by the way, part of the reason that we're lacking in success is because we're way too one-dimensional. Teams are kind of figuring out that they can probably stack up against Aaron Jones, which is why his his numbers are declining. He has nowhere to run. So if they can bottle up Aaron Jones and then kind of just maybe double up Devontae Adams, what else is left on this team? Again, what it comes down to is having multiple options. We need more wide receivers. We need a tight end. We need guys that can run block. To ensure that no matter what you do you fail that's why the Packers have been good for so long it doesn't matter what you do the the, the way a team starts losing is for somebody to figure out how to beat you right if, if somebody figures out a way to beat you and there's nothing you can do to overcome it you lose you lose that's it it's game over we've seen that with the Packers right the I, I keep referencing it you'd think I'd remember it by now Several years ago against the Denver Broncos, right? We were undefeated. We played the Broncos. Broncos just annihilated us. We couldn't win after that. Why? The Broncos figured out how to beat the Packers. Turns out we were somewhat of a paper dragon. People were just playing us wrong. We couldn't overcome what, what defenses were doing to us. We didn't have the talent. That's kind of the situation we're in now. There's not, we don't have a lot of options. We can't pass block. We can't run block. Aaron Jones doesn't really have anywhere to go, and nobody outside of Devontae Adams can really play receiver. Speaking of receiver, looking at receiving grades, I mentioned Devontae Adams. Uh, The second highest graded receiver was Aaron Jones. Third highest was Randall Cobb, who was graded as almost perfectly average. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, perfectly average. Equinemius St. Brown, perfectly average. And then Jamal Williams and Jimmy Graham were graded out as bad, because Jamal Williams is not a good receiving back as much as everybody refuses to acknowledge that and Jimmy Graham just you know that was one of the worst I'd seen from Jimmy Graham that was kind of the that that's when it kind of clicked for me that this just isn't going to work I, I had already conceded the athleticism isn't there but I said it doesn't matter just be bigger than bigger and stronger than everybody and he still is bigger and he's still strong but he's not playing big and strong anymore right he he doesn't know how to how to use his body he's not playing physically anymore He's not just muscling people out of the way and and just snatching the ball out of the air. He had opportunities to do that. He just didn't do it. He dropped those passes. You know, he'll, he'll box a guy out and then try to body catch it and let the guy behind him just swat the ball away. Like, dude, no. Box him out and then extend your arms, which are seven feet long, and just snatch the ball with your hands. Unstoppable. Unbeatable. That's what you're supposed to be, and he's just not doing it. So again, look at this situation. Yes, we won, but... I mean, what, what are we happy about? Marquez didn't look great. Equinemius didn't look great. Jamal didn't look great. Jimmy didn't look great. Randall Cobb, he had that one really good good catch. He was 5-for-5, five five, 43 yards and a touchdown. That's pretty cool. But eh, not much to work with here. And it's a big part of the reason why I'm not super thrilled with the idea of running the table and getting into the play. I understand. We'll get it, we'll run the table, and then everything else will fall into place and everything will be perfect. Who in the world are we going to beat, man? How? How? I know, any given Sunday, right? Miracles. A series of miracles will happen. How? How do we protect Aaron Rodgers against an actually good defense? How do we do that? With who? Who are we throwing the ball to? We got to play the Bears. The Bears are going to be able to play Devontae pretty tough. Who else are we going to throw the ball to? You think we're going to be able to run the ball with this garbage offensive line against the Bears defense? How? We can't protect Aaron Rodgers. We can't run the ball. We can't throw the ball. What's your philosophy here? What's your thought process on this one? That's just the Bears. There's a lot of other teams. This offense has to be able to run up the score on teams like the Saints or the Rams. How? You know, I, it, I don't mean to rain on your parade, but I know you know a lot of Packer fans. All of a sudden, you know, we got one win, and it's like, oh, maybe. Ooh, maybe we're gonna win. Like, dude, no, we're we're still the team that lost. To the, we're so ridiculously focused on the now. It's kind of crazy. We just fired our head coach after losing to the Cardinals, and we beat the Falcons in December at home when the Falcons played like complete garbage. And suddenly, it's like, oh man, we probably could do it. I think we're. I think it's gonna happen. Magic is coming. Why do you believe that? I'm trying to be happy about what I saw in the Falcons game. I really am. But the fans are driving me nuts. I, I feel like there's, there's there's insanity setting in on some people. Between talks about head coaches, talks about the Packers, suddenly something f- flipped, a switch flipped. I, I, okay, all right, I'm sorry. I'll let you enjoy it. I don't mean to be raining on your parade. I- I- I'm just trying to help you a little bit. Because things are bad. And the later it takes you to come to grips with it, the more it's going to hurt. Right? The more hope you have for the longer you have it. It's like chicken pox, man. The longer you avoid it, the more it's going to hurt when you get it. Anyways, let's talk defense because speaking of that, uh, we got to talk about Bashad Breeland. Now, Bashad Breeland had about as good a game as you can have. His grade was elite. As a matter of fact, let me just look to see if anybody anywhere ever this week had a better grade than Bashad Breland. Bashad Breland was the highest graded defensive player in all of football this past week. Now his run defense grade was below average, his tackling grade was abysmal, but his coverage grade was 95.1 out of 100 for those that didn't know. It's about as high as you can get. I would, however, like to get people to slow down a little bit because if nothing else, this is 100,000% unsustainable. 100% he will not do this for the rest of his career nobody nobody does this for an entire career Aaron Donald doesn't do this in, on a weekly basis so I mean it's just it's it's another situation where I want to be so happy about what happened with Bashad Breland and I want to see this as a positive but people are going so crazy we got to just slow down a little bit please slow down a little bit his game against Seattle was graded as average. His game against Miami in week 10, average. Week 9 against New England, his grade was pretty bad. His coverage grade was pretty terrible. Let's, let's go in pre- prior years, 2017, he graded out as average. Maybe we'll call it above average. 2016, he graded out as average. 2015, he graded out as good. 2014, terrible. So, this is an outlier of an outlier. He's never done this in his career. I don't know if he'll ever do this again in his career. And beyond that, we're talking about 24 total snaps, 17 coverage snaps. Now, if we're talking about a full-time guy, if you look at example, for example, what he did in week nine, 68 snaps, 39 in coverage. This is a very small sample size in which he did a very good job. He played in coverage 17 times. He was targeted five times. One of those was caught for 11 yards. He had one interception, one pass breakup, and a zero NFL passer rating. His career passer rating is an 87.2, which is pretty good. But again, we're talking about a guy that's above average to average. He's pretty good. If you look at 2017, 2016 and what we've had, I'd be happy to have Bashad Breeland. I'm happy to have him. Glad he's here. Provides a little bit of depth. He can be a starter, especially with Kevin King getting hurt. I mean, at this point in time, even if Kevin King was here, it'd probably be Bashad Breland, Kevin King, and Jair Alexander would probably be our top three, and then that provides us a little bit of leeway for you know development as far as uh, Josh Jackson is concerned and injuries with Kevin King. Who knows what's going to happen there? I'm on board for keeping Bashad Breland but the fact that every single Packers article is about the priority that we re-sign Bashad Breeland immediately because he had one good game in his entire career? Dude, please slow down. Come on. I know he got a pick six. That's cool. Lots of guys get pick sixes. Packers don't necessarily, but that's because we're bad, not because Bashad Breeland is a freak. Every single week, pick sixes. You've got teams that are doing that three times in, in a game. There are teams whose defenses win football games definitively. The Broncos, the year they won the Super Bowl, the the defense scored more points than the offense at times. It happens. Guys get interceptions once in a while. Again, I know the Packers don't very often, but we got one, and he was able to take that back for a touchdown. That's cool. He's pretty good. I'm okay with the idea of re-signing him, but, dude, you have got to cool it, right? I'm, I'm, I'm fine even paying the guy because we're not paying out for, you know, our, our rookies, so fine. Give him some money. Give him enough to stick around. But let's not talk like this is a top 10 or or honestly even a top 20 cornerback. Right now, I know small sample size, but we're looking at the... After just getting the highest grade of anybody ever, (laughs) he's currently ranked 36th. Because when you average it out, with the rest of his pretty not great games, 36th. What about last year? We had a, a much bigger sample size. 856 total snaps. Where did he rank? Was he top 10 or was he top 15? He was ranked 69th. 69th. Calm down. Calm down. Right? He provides a floor. He doesn't break the ceiling. Jair has upside. Bashad Breeland just kind of keeps us in a situation where it, it's not Demarius Randall again. Right? We, we have a group of corners that aren't just horrific. That's what Bashad Breeland gets us. We should be happy with that and content with that. And, and again, you're just setting yourself up for failure if you expect this from Bashad Breeland because you know what's going to follow this game? A not very good game. Right? That's what's going to happen. He wasn't up against Julio. Jair was up against Julio. Who was he playing? Sanu? The rookie? I, I Okay, cool, man. He's decent, but calm down. Uh, quickly running through the other playmakers this week. Uh, number two want to talk impressive Tyler Lancaster now I say that primarily because um, there's no hype really for Tyler Lancaster and he's a 2018 free agent so his ability to step up which very inconsistent but uh, it's it's pretty awesome now he was terrible last year against Ari- or last week against Arizona not very good against Minnesota uh, just you know it's his second very good game he was also very good against Miami so, I mean, it's cool. He provides some, some quality depth, and that's important along that defensive line. We need more bodies, and to have a guy that can step in, even once every four weeks, and have a really good game, I'm okay with that. We're barely even paying the guy, so cool, man. And if he's having a bad game, whatever. We don't play him very much. Behind him, Mr. Kenny Clark, graded out as above average, very close to, um, excuse me, he graded out as good, very close to very good. Tyler Lancaster was very good. Sometimes I forget my own vernacular. Clay Matthews also uh, graded out as, uh, I don't even know, I don't remember. He, he, he was pretty good. Ended up with uh, one sack and one hit, two total pressures. A whole bunch of mediocres um, as far as guys that were just really, really bad. The worst on defense was Reggie Gilbert, who has been a massive disappointment since preseason. He's just hes just that guy, right? He's preseason phenom, garbage in the regular season, that's unfortunate. Josh Jackson. Seems to be getting more disappointing every single week. It's very upsetting to see. Um, Obviously, he was very good in the preseason. I thought he showed flashes early on, and it just seems like he's regressing consistently. It just keeps getting worse. Um, Third worst, Eddie Pleasant. So, whoever that is. (laughs) Uh, Dean Lowry, not a very good game. Kyler Fackrell, not a great game. Tremont Williams, not a very good game. Tony Brown, not a good game. Josh Jones, not a very good game. We're kind of getting into the average territory around here. Um, everybody else relatively average. If we go through some of the particulars, guys that were really good in run defense, Tyler Lancaster, Kenny Clark, uh, Jair, actually, which is pretty cool, and uh, Clay, guys that were terrible, Blake Martinez, which I don't get him, man. So he's supposed to be the guy that's really good against the run, but that's about it. He's graded out really, really well, but it's almost entirely because of his abilities and coverage this year. I don't know what's going on with him against the run, but he's not been good at all, and it, it's it's a pretty big detriment to our team because we're having a hard time stopping the run now mike daniels is gone we pretty much just have kenny clark and that's about it all tyler lancaster now obviously once every four weeks we got tyler lancaster to really plug up the middle but we don't have any linebackers anymore so that's not great dean lowry josh jackson josh jones same guys that were pretty terrible not very good here gonna skip tackling because nobody cares looking at pass rush number one in pass rush jair alexander small sample size he only came twice but he had uh, one hurry and one batted pass. So, hey, if you're coming twice and you get home once, even if it's just a hurry, I'm good with that. Otherwise, Kentrell Bryce, which, I mean, this shouldn't surprise anybody, right? We don't have any edge rushers, yet we do fairly well at pressuring the quarterback. That Again, it's it's all Mike Pettin. It's dialing up the right people at the right times. I have no illusions about the fact that Kentrell Bryce is not just a freakish pass rusher. It's just that Mike Pettin does a very good job of... of You know, just just bringing the right people at the right time. So, you know, let's get the man a little bit of help. That would be nice. Otherwise, not a whole lot. Kyler Fackrell was worst on that list. Uh, Reggie Gilbert, also pretty terrible on that list. Looking at coverage, obviously Bashad Breland, um, about as good as you can get. Uh, Blake Martinez, again, that's his whole thing now. Otherwise, not much to go on here. Jair was graded out as average, which isn't bad considering he was basically shadowing Julio Jones. He was targeted 11 times, and 10 of them were caught. So that's a little bit of a kick in the stomach right there. That's not good. To get targeted 11 times isn't good. To have only one of them not get caught, and not because of you. It was an overthrow. I specifically remember it. That would have been a touchdown. So if that was thrown a little less, it would have been 11 for 11 and 2 touchdowns. Passer rating when targeted, 134.8. I love Jair. He's very, very good. But, um, you know, I mean... listen, this is part of the reason why I'm not going to be super upset if we end up looking elsewhere at corner like in the draft. Not that it's a, a massive need. We got bigger needs other other places, but, you know, similar to pass rusher. You know, Some teams, they already have a pass rusher, and if I do a mock draft, I'll mock another pass rusher. Like, why? We already got this guy. Yeah, but you could have two. Let's just say, for argument's sake, that Greedy Williams fell all the way to 14 or wherever the Packers are drafting, and he's by far the best person available. Would it be unconscionable to take him? No, I don't think so. If we had, let's say, two Jair Alexanders, but Greedy Williams is about as good as Jair, but with a different skill set, right? He's taller, he's longer, he's also got some good speed. Suddenly, you've got two very good corners, so if it's just a two-wide receiver set, you got Jair and Greedy Williams, which is awesome. If it's a three-wide receiver set, you've got Greedy Williams taking on the Julio Jones type, and you got Jair, who can play more in the slot, which is kind of more of his natural position anyways. And then you've got to choose between Bashaud Breland, Kevin King, or Josh Jackson as your number three, that's a pretty good situation to be in. You've got the guy who maybe could take a second-year leap, and if he doesn't, you got Kevin King, who's pri- probably who we want. If he's hurt or just not developing the way that we want, you got Bashaud Breland, who, again, he provides a floor, which is all he's doing. He's providing a floor. In other words, he's not who we want. We want Kevin King. We want Josh Jackson. If they can't do it, the floor is Bashaud Breland, and we're happy with that. Anyways, guys in coverage that were bad, again, Reggie Gilbert was the worst. Guy can't even catch a break, man. Josh Jackson, Kyler Fackrell, Tony Brown, um, that's about it. So a relatively underwhelming day. I mean, we, we won. Uh, the stats weren't too great. I actually thought the grades would be a little bit better. I thought Aaron Rodgers would grade out better. But um, really, as far as I can tell, it was uh, Bashad Breland and um, Devontae Adams that kind of stood out, you know, Tyler Lancaster, but whatever. Otherwise, just kind of meh. And it, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence that the Packers are going to go on and dominate. To have PFF watch the game and go, eh? What did you think? And they look back and go, this was not good, man. I mean, I know you guys won, but um, yeah, this was not good. And and by the way, before we finish, because we're, we're going a little long and I'm pretty much done here. One thing that I was thinking about. You know, I talked in this uh, podcast episode and, and other places about how, you know, you kind of gauge how accurate things are based on, again, you put a theory out there and you see if, it, if things naturally follow the way that you would expect. And if they do, then you can assume that your theory is possibly correct. I've been operating on a principle that pro football focus is, is a reliable source for a while, and I've been getting a little bit of pushback on that. This is a situation where I am predicting the future based on pro football focus's ability to tell me the present and the past. And I've been doing it consistently. And I've been going in the, against the grain in certain situations and have been correct. Uh, Lance Kendricks was an example of of a lot of people in Green Bay getting excited. And I said, he's not good. He's never been good. He comes here and he's terrible. Mercedes Lewis, everybody's super excited about Mercedes Lewis. I said, let's pump the brakes. He's maybe not as good as we thought. He hasn't been that good. Even looking at guys like Kirk Cousins, I was the one saying he's not all that great. Vikings fans were furious you're you're out of your mind he's a he's a very good quarterback. he's one of the better quarterbacks. the Vikings are going to be unstoppable blah 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 even Packers fans were, were kind of getting on my case about it like dude, I mean I, I you know you got to admit he's he is pretty good and it's like no he, he's not that good he's not. And now what's everybody saying? Now everybody's on the band. Oh, he's terrible. You guys thought he was going to be good. So did you, man. You said it too. So I stand, again, by Pro Football Focus because of their ability to allow me to do what I do. I have I have a very good ability to tell you what's coming because they can tell me what has happened. When we picked up Ashad Breland, I had the ability to look at his total career, his overall career, and say, you know, He's got some attributes, right? Especially if you look at some of the uh, more in depth stats, something Kevin King is also pretty good at, right? The grades aren't always great, but if you look at like the uh, receptions per route run or whatever, he's a little bit better in those categories. But I said he's, you know, we can't expect a ton. Well, he had a very, very good game. That's awesome. But I'm telling you again, he's not going to be able to maintain that because nobody maintains that. Nobody does this well consistently ever. He had a phenomenal game, and hopefully he can continue to to grow, right? I mean, it it bodes well. He's been out of the NFL for a while. He doesn't know the Packers' system. He's been benched for a good while. He's just barely getting his feet wet, and he stepped up, and he had a good game. That's awesome. I'm excited about the potential of keeping him long-term. I would like to offer him a contract extension. I would be beyond thrilled if he could develop into a solid, you know, number two opposite of uh, Jair Alexander, but what I am telling you, with absolute certainty, is that if you think that what you saw against the Falcons is Bashad Breeland, and that's who he is, you're wrong. Because nobody is that. That was a guy with a very limited sample size, only 17 plays in coverage, one of them went for a pick six. So please understand, I like him, we should like him, but just relax. And again, the the whole point of this was to demonstrate why another reason why I like pro football focus and trust them is because if they're accurate, I should be able to predict the future to to relative success. Things do change, right? Guys can progress. Guys can get better. But um, I I have been able to do that, I think, better than a lot of people. And it's not because I am some kind of a wizard. It's because I I exhaust all my resources to, to get a good picture of who this person is, despite the hype. And I've been able to I think, do a pretty good job of that. And that's thanks to them doing their job correctly. So, anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. PFF really needs to start paying me, man. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. We'll get started talking about the Bears and things of that nature. Um, Enjoy your day. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.